to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, and we want others to love it, too. Yes, we do. We are also authors and invite you to check out our books, including my book, The 2030-Something Garden Guide and No Fuss, Down and Dirty, Gardening 101 for Anyone Who Wants to Grow Stuff. Yes, that's a mouthful. And my books, including Potted and Pruned, Homegrown and Handpicked, and Seeded and Sodded, my trilogy of gardening humor. You can ask for our books at your favorite bookstore or find them online wherever books are sold. Speaking of online, you can also find us as the Garden Angelists on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And we'd love for you to join our Facebook group, the Garden Angelists Garden Club. And now, with all that out of the way, let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. You have a quote for us today. I do. I do. I think this describes. Uh, I think this describes us, Dee. Oh yeah. Ideas are always disturbing, especially new ideas. Most normal, charming, intelligent adults have learned to leave their minds alone and so are immune to new ideas, but not gardeners. These unfortunates are susceptible to every new idea carried by the wings of chance. Josephine Noose. <laughs> well, that's the truth. <laughs> any, any new plant that comes on the block, any new tool, we are in it, aren't we? Exactly. And Josephine Noose, D, she wrote a book called The Country Garden. And, oh, yeah? And um, I didn't have The Country Garden. and But so you bought it, didn't you? I, I found a, <laughs> I, as they say in the trade, I found a good use copy. Uh-huh. Uh, pages intact, clean cover, and it's on its way to me. Of course it is, because you can't stand to not get any gardening book. And she she knew exactly what to say to get you in there. Yeah. Hey, I also was, you know, last night I was actually texting you pictures of some of my houseplants because I was trying to decide what houseplants to include in a current article that I just wrote for Oklahoma Living. I think it comes out in February. And what did that make you want to do? It made me want to go buy houseplants. I know. It made me laugh when you texted me back. So, um, but let's move on to flowers, shall we? Not talk about Carol's buying habits. Yeah, let's do. You're not one to talk, D. Yours are just as bad. <laughs> it's not worse. Well, I went and bought seeds yesterday, so yes. Yes, indeedy. And these were just my flower seeds. I now need to also buy my vegetable seeds, and I'm very, very tempted. Um, we didn't actually put this in the show notes at all, but I'm very tempted by this little catalog that is sitting right next to me. Have, have you got the Territorial Seed Company's catalog? I think that just came a few days ago. I think it has the cutest cover this year, the cutest. has a little boy, and he has a little tiny plant, which I assume is a tomato plant. It's a little hard to tell in the drawing, but... You know, tomato plants kind of look like weeds until they grow a little bit. He has a watering can, a copy of a catalog, and he's looking up and he's dreaming of the biggest tomato, and it's in a wheelbarrow. That is the cutest catalog. They win. Well, I'll, I'll be the judge of that once I get all my catalogs. But let's talk about the National Garden Bureau. Let's do. They're celebrating 
a century of good gardening information. Yes, 100 years this year, and they have a ton of stuff, and we're going to put a link to their website so people can go look at it. But they, every year, they designate certain flowers and vegetables as the year of, and this year it's the year of lavender, lantana, corn, hydrangea, and iris. And and in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about all of those on the podcast, kind of one by one, or two by two, actually. So there you go. So first up, we're going to talk about lantana, which Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to like uh, seed the microphone over to you because I simply do not grow a lot of lantana, but probably after we talk, um, I will grow some. <laughs> so why, why do you not grow a lot of lantana? Well, I, you know, I think of lantana as uh, mostly a yellow multi-floret flower. There and are so just, much more than just yellow. I know, but around here, I mean, it's an annual. And um, I think when I think about lantana, I'm actually thinking about verbena. And I grow a lot of different verbenas in my containers. But lantana, I think it's more of a, it's a heat-loving flower for sure. Does it not get hot where you are in the summer? It does. I I really have no excuse, Dee. Just move on. (laughs) Let's not talk about my foibles and my failings. I have failed in the lantana world. But I I didn't. (laughs) What? I'm going to convince you to try to grow lantana. Oh, it's not going to take much to push me over the edge. You know, I stand on the edge of the cliff all the time. All the time, which is awesome. It's an awesome cliff. Um, So you should tell people why lantana reminds you of verbena. Because they look alike. They're in the same plant family. They look look quite a bit alike, but um, I think the leaves on lantana are quite a bit different, and the flower heads are much bigger than the verbena I grow here. And I'll say something else for lantana that makes it, I don't grow as much verbena as I do lantana. I do like some verbenas, but they get spider mites here really badly. Would that be really bad? Yeah, really bad. And so, yeah, they get spider mites. And so I've kind of quit growing them. And plus, when it gets really hot here, they kind of quit flowering. Most of the verbena does. And so I would rather grow lantana. And let's just point out, it is deer-resistant, people. So if you have a spot that is being grazed by deer, I would put lantana there for a few seasons and see if you can divert the deer onto another path. Don't put it next to a hosta, though, for one thing. Hostas mostly grow in the shade here. But also, deer love hostas. And, you know, you can put up a deer-resistant plant, but if you put it by a candy cane for deer, the deer are still going to come. It's also salt-resistant. It's super hardy in the summer. It's sun-tolerant to the max, even Texas sun. And leaves, the leaves are kind of smelly. I, don't, I haven't ever really rubbed verbena leaves that much. Are they, do they have scent? I don't know. I do not think that verbena leaves have some sort of scent that would keep you away. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. So leaves are either on a lantana or either stinky or they're fragrant, depending upon the nose of the beholder. But fragrance is often like that. Right. And so um, I, I'm pretty convinced that I have really never grown a true lantana. And I'm, I'm admitting that on a podcast that anybody in the whole wide world could listen to. So, but it sounds pretty good because butterflies like lantana, right? 
Yeah, butterflies really love lantana. And when the monarchs come through and the queen butterflies in the fall, that's where they flock to is the lantana. Also, um, the swallowtails, the tiger swallowtail loves lantana. It's a great nectar source for adult butterflies. So I actually grow lantana around my red fountain and in the center of my potage. And the reason I do that is I also grow dill and parsley and some other plants which are liked by the giant swallowtail. In fact, all swallowtails. But the giant swallowtail really, really loves my garden. And it's the Oklahoma State butterfly. So I'm trying to encourage it. And by having an adult nectar source next to a source for their caterpillars, then you've done a double whammy. And that's an easy way to butterfly garden. Win-win. Win-win. Now, most lantanas are annuals in Oklahoma, too, but some do overwinter, okay, and especially in Oklahoma City. I'll be honest, out here where I live, there are no lantanas that overwinter. I've never had one. Um, I, have to, I have to dig them up every spring, and they're kind of a nightmare. But new gold, which is that yellow one you're talking about, probably right. because it's really, it's really famous and well-distributed across the United States, it does overwinter in Oklahoma City if we have a mild winter like the one we're having this year. In fact, we're basically having no winter at all so far. And so I don't like new gold that much. Um, it's okay. But there are so many other lantanas out there. And while we were kind of coming up with some ideas for this podcast, I thought about the fact that I really, really like Dallas Red. That's one of my very favorite ones. And it's got different shades of red and kind of a dark orange color and that's the one that I think I will just plant in mass around my gar around my fountain this year sometimes I mix up the plants and sometimes I choose one plant so you can hold me to it I'm probably going to do Dallas red okay I'm going to hold you to it I am actually going to look for a true lantana I just don't think that um I just don't think I've seen that many but I think I probably have and um I tend to ignore them and go straight for the verbenas which have uh, a wider range of colors, I'll say. So I'm going to look for it because I think it'll be pretty and it'll attract butterflies, and why not? You know there are pink lantanas too, right? Sure, but there's not blues and purples. No, there are not blues and purples, but if you need something in the pink and yellow range, there are several different pink ones. Bandana pink, which is a proven winner's one, is... Uh, it's, it's a very pretty one. And also I have seen confetti. There's a, there's a bunch of other pink lantanas. So there's one called pink caprice. So a lot of different ones. Uh, Southern living plants has one called hot pink little lucky, which I've never grown that one. Since these are mostly annuals, do you grow them from seed or do you tend to buy the plants? I just buy the plants because they're everywhere okay. here because everybody knows that they do well in Oklahoma and Texas and probably Kansas too. And so, yeah, I just grow them from plants. There's always a, just a, an abundance of plants. I've bought Dallas Red. It's a little harder to find, and so I buy it. Usually uh, Bustani Plant Farm has Dallas Red. Well, good. Well, um, I will make it a point to find a lantana that I know is a lantana and not a verbena. And I will grow it, Dee, because that's the kind of gardener I am. Well, you can grow that, and then we'll talk about if, they, if it did well in Indiana, whether you're going to put it in a pot or whatever. Here we put them in pots, we put them in the ground, we put them everywhere. We need them. I would probably put it in a pot, although I am tempted 
to get some to put along the edges of the vegetable garden on the end of the rows, because I have raised bed rows, put some on the end of the rows because I think that it would bring in butterflies and other pollinators. So, Ooh, that's a good idea. I like that. I'm going to do that. Okay, cool. So we've each got our marching orders to do that. And we'd love to hear from our listeners, how do you use lantana in the landscape? Yes, that would be wonderful to find out. So you ready to move on to vegetables? I am, and you're probably going to have to do more of this, because although I've grown this vegetable, um, I have a real problem with raccoons. Oh, yeah. So you gave it away. Of course, we gave it away earlier. It's the year of corn. So we're going to talk about growing corn in the garden, and I have a quote for us. Go for it. Farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a 1,000 miles from the cornfield by President Dwight David Eisenhower. Wasn't he from Kansas? I think he was from Kansas. I think he was from Kansas or someplace out in the middle of the prairie. Yeah, so he knew all about farming. And I would say that gardening seems pretty easy in January when you're looking through seed catalogs trying to find the perfect variety of sweet corn to grow. Oh, so I should have talked about seed catalogs and my vegetable seeds when I was at this part of the podcast, not at the beginning. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, it's fine. You talked about it at just the right time. Oh, good. Hang on. I've got to correct something really quickly before I get in trouble. Dwight David Eisenhower was born in Denison, Texas. I don't, and then in 1892, he, he was born in 1890. In 1892, the family moved to Abilene. So I don't want to slight either Denison or Abilene. Okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah, because we don't want Texas coming after us. Woo! Yeah, and I live closer to them, so yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the, um, there's a lot of varieties of sweet corn. If you go to All American Selections, I think that's the best place to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And right, they always list the varieties of not only vegetables but flowers and um, as well. The ones that have been grown in actual test gardens where people – who have no vested interest in whether that performs well or not, in other words, they're not selling it, they come out and tell you their opinion. And so I can easily get confused on what sweet corn to grow because the catalogs describe them all as marvelous. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, corn, they're as rhapsodic about corn as they are about tomatoes. Oh, yes. So a couple of uh, All-American selections our Sweet American Dream, which I grew two years ago, and it was very sweet and delicious. And there's Sweet Honey and Pearl, which was also very... Which will be a bicolor, yes, right? Yes. And then there's one from 1935. The winner was Sweet Hybrid Bantam. And this is one case where I say the older varieties may not stand up to the test of time. We are Yeah, explain why. Well, we are used to much sweeter sweet corn than they used to grow, and they've made it sweeter and sweeter every year. And so I would I would tend to go with the new varieties. I would on I would on sweet corn too, and here's why. Because the old sweet corn, you had to take it off. I mean, like you had to have the pot of water boiling in your kitchen, which we don't always boil corn now, but back then they did. You had to have it boiling. You had to take it off the stalk, strip off all the silks and the corn husks, sorry, 
Um, and then you had to bring it inside and plunk it down that boiling water as soon as possible because that sweet corn would turn starchy really fast. Oh, yeah. And I think my grandmother used to add sugar to the corn when she fried it. Uh, we have talked about this before, and it just grosses me out. But go ahead. We're not going to talk about it if it grosses you out. No, go ahead. It might not gross out other people. No, I'm done talking about it, D. So uh, you are not going to grow sweet corn because it's just uh, the raccoons just get it right before you harvest it. Right. And raccoons eat a lot of things out here, but corn is their favorite thing. And pinto beans, oddly enough. They ate all my pinto beans the year I grew pinto beans. Because one year I decided I was going to grow this kind of uh, Hispanic garden and I bought all Hispanic seeds and, you know, tomatillos and I bought um, pinto beans and I think I also grew some corn that year. And basically, they had a field day. They tore down all my pea fencing and everything else. So I'll be honest, um, again, like last year, I am probably going to do tomatoes, peppers, lettuce, you know, stuff they don't care as much about. That's a good idea. I grow the sweet corn in my tiny garden. I usually grow a four-foot by eight-foot block of it. And mm-hmm. within that I put like four or five rows and I put two to three seeds per hole and the holes are about eight to 12 inches apart. So I don't get a lot of sweet corn, but I get enough to taste and say I grew my own sweet corn. So do you thin it down when the, when it, when the seeds start to grow? I know why you put in a couple of different seeds, but do you thin it? I sometimes, but remember uh, we are lazy gardeners. So sometimes I do. Um, if if it looks like it's really pretty thick, and I may go and reduce to like two two stalks per hole rather than three if they've mm-hmm. all come up. But as you know, not every seed's going to germinate, and sometimes once that right. seed germinates and that little sprout comes up, the birds tend to peck them up and take them away. Yeah, here the cr- I have a whole family of crows that live in my trees, and here they just wait and watch me plant corn and then they eat they eat at least two of them but I figure with three everybody gets some and then um do you hill it up I do um I hill it up a little bit when I plant it but I don't tend to get in there and cultivate around it I just make sure there's no weeds in there but I don't necessarily hill up around the um roots now the problem is if we get a big windy storm I have had my... Yeah, I was going to say. Which you would get more likely in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Your corn can all fall flat to the ground if it's not held up. Yeah. and I It sure can. I've had that happen, and then it's it's a mess. And you try to prop it yes. up, and it, it never... It's never the same again. Never. Exactly. It's never the same again, and the corn is really unhappy, and you might as well kind of give it up because if it falls over, that's bad. So in Oklahoma, yes, hill your corn. And um, I was going to say something else about it. I was going to ask you, do you feed it any nitrogen, Um, like manure? I I should. I do try to spread a little bit of organic fertilizer in the bed where it's at, and I try not to obviously grow corn in the same spots because it is a heavy feeder and it can deplete the soil. So where I grew corn, say, last year, I will plant that area with the green beans and peas and stuff this next spring. Right. Because you usually follow corn with legumes because legumes fixate nitrogen in the soil. In fact, some people grow that three sisters idea where they grow a bean with the corn to twine up the 
corn stalk and then, you know, grow another plant with it too. And that's supposed to help fixate nitrogen in the soil. Here's the deal. If you decide to do the three sisters planting, I say, God bless you. Go ahead. Because my experience has been that you've got to start your corn first. You can't just put all three seeds in the same time. Because the beans will outgrow the corn and then it just becomes a big mess. So start the corn first. Then if you want to start the bean seed around the corn, that's fine. People also plant squash or um, muskmelons. Uh, down at the bottom and that's supposed to discourage the raccoons i will say this i have done that before and um that did discourage the raccoons they don't like to have their little feet down around all those vines from the squash but that was back when i grew a huge garden when i had four kids at home right well i might i might try two of the three sisters we'll see just depends on my mood when i get out there and how much lantana you had to plant. Exactly. How much lantana I had to plant. <laughs> so anyway, we have another podcast episode from way back about corn. And I will try to find a link for that. If somebody wants to listen to us wax rhapsodic about corn for a while longer, we'll send it back to that other podcast episode. I think we also give them some more growing instructions other than the little question and answer I just put to you. Ah, yes, we probably did. So on to our dirt. So we challenged our listeners to see if we could relate anything to gardening because we said in our last episode that we could. And so a listener, and you guys can hear my cat in the background, but I'm not going to let him outdoors because it'll make a lot of noise when I get up. So he's just going to have to wait and cry. Um, We can relate anything to gardening. A listener, Sherry Ely, who goes by Sherry Boberry on Instagram, asked us to relate gardening to the rock group KISS. And Carol took up the gauntlet and said... Oh, this was easy. Come on, challenge me next time. I came up with three connections, bing, bang, boom. Okay, tell us what they are. So the rock group KISS used to perform at the Indiana State Fair. And I had cousins who would come up to the state fair from southern Indiana. They'd come up to listen to Kiss. And sometimes they would come up when Donny Osmond and the Osmonds came to the state fair. So obviously, the state fair is all about agriculture. And there's the Hort building there. And you can go in there and you can see all the beautiful vegetables and flowers that people grew in their gardens and get inspirations for next year. So Kiss means you go to the state fair to hear them, which means you go to the Hort building, gardening. And your master gardeners have a really big display garden there that features a lot of All-American selections and newer varieties, which relates back to what we talked about on the podcast today. And I'm just going to point out, because we don't want Oklahoma to feel bad or out of things, um, at the Oklahoma State Fair, we also have a lot of agriculture that comes in, animals, vegetables, all that kind of stuff. But each county in Oklahoma also has what's called a free fair. And I've judged the Oklahoma County free fair for the last, I guess, five years. Plus, we have a display garden at Oklahoma State University in the OSU Botanical Garden. And that's where I go when I want to, if I'm, if I'm not growing an All-American Selections variety and I need to need pictures for whatever I'm working on, I go there and take pictures because they test them all. So the second connection is Kiss is a rock group 
which makes me think of rock stars who garden. And of course, the most famous rock star that garden was George Harrison of the Beatles. He was known for being a gardener later in life and just really wanted to putter around in his garden when it all came down to it. I mean, who doesn't? Exactly. And if you made as much money as George Harrison and the Beatles, you could. Right. And then I could get into Elton John and his garden, which Rosemary Veery, she uh, was the designer. Designed it. Yep. But we're not going to go. I mean, the whole point is, when we think about rock and roll, we think about which one's gardened. Okay, of course. Because what else is there to think about? Although, I'm just going to point out, Elton John does not till his own rows or no, anything. No. He pays someone. Exactly. And then your third thing. So the third thing is, you have ever watched American Pickers on the Discovery Channel, I think it is? And Frank yes. is a big collector on there of Kiss memorabilia. And so okay, I remember once seeing an episode of American Pickers where they actually stopped at this old lady's house, old woman, I should say, who was a gardener, and she came, you know, in the opening scene, she came walking up with her wheelbarrow, and she was wearing a big old straw hat, and you could tell she gardened. <laughs> and I, I couldn't... This one's really a long shot, well, but I like it. <laughs> I could not believe that they were more interested in the old cars that her deceased husband left in the garage, and right there next to it, it's like there's all this gardening stuff and old containers and statuary and things like that and they just had no interest in it they just cast it aside looking for their dumb oil cans and bicycles and motorcycles and that's because that's what they collect but let me also point out that that lady probably would not have let them take those things and they knew ahead of time that there's no way they would get the gardener's tools and antique wheelbarrows, and all the things that gardeners collect, so they just didn't even try. That's what I guess is. They were so precious to that lady, and they just knew. I don't know. I But but I did come up with the idea for a show that I call Garden Pickers. And so awesome. Garden Pickers would be two gardeners, like maybe you and me, and yeah. we would go visit all these old gardeners all over the country, and we'd let them tell us all about their gardens, and we would show them, and we would see if they had any unusual varieties that we would get propagated for them, if they had any old garden ornaments or wheelbarrows or pots or anything they wanted to sell us. Wouldn't that be a show? Wouldn't people tune into that, D? Oh, yeah, I would think so. Every gardener in the world would. I think we should pitch that show. We should. I actually... Several, I mean, this is like four years ago. I made a Facebook page called Garden Pickers, and I put the uh, so I put the idea out there, and the the page is still there. I do nothing with it, and every couple months, people will like it a little bit. And I think huh, I, that's fine. The idea is still out there. We're still waiting for the call, D. Still waiting for the call. There you go, and it's a double entendre. Garden Pickers. Why is it a double entendre? Because you're like the pickers, like, you know, on American Pickers, but you also pick things, you pick produce in the garden. Oh, good one, Dee. Very good. Thanks. That journalism degree didn't go to waste, my parents. Good deal. Well, that's about all we have today. We challenge our listeners again. Kiss, an easy topic. Thank you, Sherry. So if somebody else wants to throw out a topic, send it to us. 
And we'll give it a shot. I love it. So thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a review. That helps us get noticed by others. And yes, be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye.